Hey there, fellow Sojourners, and welcome back to another edition of Appropriating the Culture. On today's episode, we discuss the cultural implications of biblical illiteracy. I'm Pastor Shane, and I'll be your center for people who can't read Bible good and who want to learn to do other stuff good, too, as we appropriate some culture. Hey guys, so we've been on a bit of a break, some vacation, then I was sick, then I was busy working on some projects, which I will reveal shortly, but today we're looking at cultural biblical illiteracy. Everywhere you look, there are clear and obvious signs that America is a post-Christian nation. Polls of identifying Christians are down, church attendance is down, and most of the culture is manifestly biblically ignorant. One of the clearest and most entertaining harbingers of that fact is the classical quiz show Jeopardy. If you watch the show for long enough, you'll notice a trend in which the contestants, who are usually a fount of knowledge, avoid Bible categories like they were the plague. And given some other answers, that's understandable. For our final today, we deal with the Old Testament. Players, here's your clue. Consisting of 21 verses, the book of this minor prophet, whose name means servant of God, is the shortest. Andy, we come to you first. You had $3,000, you were in third place, and you picked Esau. Incorrect. Let's go to our champion, Ellen. She had 7,800. She picked Malachi. Incorrect also. Now we come to Angela Ward, who was leading. She's smiling. Why? Did she get the correct response? She said, who is Joel? It's Obadiah. Esau doesn't mean servant of God. It's also not a book of the Bible, but otherwise good guess. Now the thing about this is you really don't have to have extensive knowledge of Hebrew to get this question right. All you have to do is read the Bible. Because if you read the Bible, you'll get to Obadiah and be like, oh well, that's short. But minor prophets are tricky. Let's see another Final Jeopardy. Welcome back. It's the first time we are featuring science and the Bible on Jeopardy. Let's take a look at the clue. A 2021 study suggested that an asteroid that struck the Jordan Valley circa 1650 BC gave rise to the story of this city in Genesis 19. You have 30 seconds. Good luck. We'll begin with our returning champ, Brian Ahern. What was your response? What is Babel? That is not correct. What was your response? Sodom. What is, it looked like the Great Flood. It, it became Sodom. That is correct. Babel. I understand that answer because when we say that someone is babbling, we mean that they're being struck by an asteroid. Actually, there's very little evidence that there's any etymological connection between babble and babbling, but I liked the joke. But kudos to the lady for getting it right and for quickly recognizing her mistake that the Great Flood is not a city. Progress! But what isn't progress is this. What an amazing comeback. John 11 reported he had been dead four days, but now he's up and going back onto the field. Terry. Who is Jesus? No. Brother of Seth, father of Enoch. Manuel. Oh, uh, good. Who is Noah? No. Who is Cain? Daughter of Laban, mother of Benjamin. Who is Rachel? Father of Ahaziah, husband of Jezebel. And that would be Ahab. Matthew 6, 9 says, Our Father which art in heaven, this be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. 
I don't even... Now, you could say, eh, who cares? They're not believers, so what difference does it make whether they're biblically literate? And if I were on Jeopardy, I would be a total buffoon. But the Bible is the foundational document of Western civilization, and Christianity has been the driving worldview of our art, philosophy, science, and literature for thousands of years. Andrew Claven, in his memoir describing growing up as a secular Jew, captures this pretty well. He says, I knew who Jesus was, of course. I had plenty of Christian friends, and he was all around in the culture. But I think my first serious engagement with him was literary. When I was about 15, I read the King James Bible, not religiously, but because I wanted to be a writer and I knew it was a seminal work of literature, like Shakespeare's plays. I wanted to explain him, to interpret him, to understand why he stood at the center of everything. But again, it was an intellectual and literary endeavor, not a spiritual one. But that understanding, rightly recognizing that the Bible is a seminal work and Christianity is foundational in the architecture of Western civilization, becomes obscured without biblical literacy. Ignorance of Scripture is, of course, tragic in a spiritual sense, but even in purely cultural terms. A profound ignorance of the Bible disconnects us from our history, our culture, our art, our literature, and the implications of that are wide-ranging. We have many vestigial remains of Christian values, but disconnected from Christianity, and so we don't have a proper understanding of the formation and structure of our institutions. Let's get rid of the Electoral College. Why not pure democracy? Because a Christian worldview understands that men are not angels, and what you get with unchecked power in the hands of the people is tyranny and mob rule. Why can't men marry men? Who says? Well because we had a Christian worldview which has a slightly more sophisticated understanding of marriage than the idiotically reductive inanity of love is love, which has no limiting principle and will inevitably lead to polygamy, polyamory, and pedophilia. Why can't we be free to do whatever drugs we want and have prostitutes in porn? Because being a slave to sin doesn't make you free. See, as a culture, we're living in a house that Christianity built. But we find it too old-fashioned now, and so we're remodeling. And every remodel starts with demolition. But it's really dangerous to start swinging a sledgehammer in ignorance, because you might be taking out a load-bearing wall. G.K. Chesterton argues with this sort of prudence in his famous fence analogy. He says, There exists in such a case a certain institution or law, let us say for the sake of simplicity, a fence or gate erected across a road. The more modern type of reformer goes gaily up to it and says, I don't see the use of this, let us clear it away. To which the more intelligent type of reformer will do well to answer, If you don't see the use of it, I certainly won't let you clear it away. Go away and think. Then, when you can come back and tell me that you do see the use of it, I may allow you to destroy it. And he makes the same sort of case with a lamppost. He says this, Suppose that a great commotion arises in the street about something, let us say a lamppost, which many influential persons desire to pull down. A gray-clad monk who is the spirit of the Middle Ages is approached upon the matter and begins to say in the arid manner of the schoolmen, let us first of all consider, my brethren, the value of light, if light be in itself good. At this point, he is somewhat excusably knocked down. All the people make a rush for the lamppost. The lamppost is down in ten minutes, and they go about congratulating each other on their unmedieval practicality. But as things go on, they do not work out so easily. Some people have pulled the lamppost down because they wanted the electric light, some because they wanted old iron, 
Some because they wanted darkness because their deeds were evil. Some thought it not enough of a lamppost, some too much. Some acted because they wanted to smash municipal machinery, some because they wanted to smash something. And there is war in the night, no man knowing whom he strikes. So, gradually and inevitably, today, tomorrow, or the next day, there comes back the conviction that the monk is right after all, and that all depends on what is the philosophy of light. Only what we might have discussed under the gas lamp, we now must discuss in the dark. And that's exactly the situation that we're in. We're pulling down lampposts, we're uprooting fences, not knowing why they were there to begin with, because we are completely disconnected from the worldview that built it. But it's clearly not just a problem for Jeopardy contestants. For most of us, biblical illiteracy is our El Guapo. Kenneth Birding in his article, The Crisis of Biblical Illiteracy, gives some rather striking anecdotes. These days, many of us don't even know basic facts about the Bible. I remember a student, not a new believer, who asked a question after class about Saul's conversion in Acts 9. She wanted to know whether this was the same Saul who was king over Israel. No. King Saul's story is found in the Old Testament. The Saul of Acts, also known as Paul, is found in the New Testament. When I was teaching at a college in New York, I assigned each student to write a biographical sketch of an Old Testament character. I came across the following line in a paper about the Old Testament figure Joshua. Joshua was the son of a nun. This student clearly didn't know that nun was the name of Joshua's father, nor apparently did he realize that Catholic nuns weren't around during the time of the Old Testament. I can't imagine such a thing happening to a group of German Lutherans in the 16th century, or to English Puritans in the 17th century, or to Wesleyans in the 18th century, or to modern Chinese mainland Christians, even if they only have access to a few Bibles in their house church, or even to our believing great-grandparents in the United States. My paternal grandfather, who never came into personal relationship with Jesus Christ, read his Bible regularly and had many passages committed to memory. That's a striking statement, isn't it? A person who didn't even have a personal relationship with Jesus read the Bible regularly and memorized it. That clearly stems from at least a recognition that the Bible is the foundational document of Western civilization. Now, we want more than just cultural Christianity, but the culture clearly has an effect even on Christians. The illiteracy and ignorance of the culture has seeped even into Christian circles. So how do we stem the tide? How do we get people to stop sawing off the limb that we're all standing on? Well, it starts with reading your Bible. We're not going to change the culture overnight, but if we want to combat our culture's biblical illiteracy, it's got to at least start with people who actually claim that the Bible is the Word of God. Read your Bible every day. Read it all the way through. Then read it again, and before you know it, you'll suddenly look pretty smart on Jeopardy. Oh, and we might help to preserve Western civilization. So that's cool. All right, that'll do for today. If you like what we're doing here, smash that subscribe button, like, share, review, follow me on the socials. We have a couple of major announcements coming up, and I'll see you next time for more Appropriate in the Culture. <laughs>